Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. So you have an idea. Tell me about it. Are you? Uh, yeah, okay. We thought to have a, a, a show about the fade. The fade, that is, that you hear at the end of songs when you play a song on the record. So I began thinking about the fade. And one of the things that I like about the fade is that it is a complete artifice. It does not happen in normal life. For instance, in the 19th century, you would go to the public park and the gazebo was filled with the 12-piece brass band and you'd lay out your picnic table and you'd, your picnic blanket, rather, and you'd enjoy the music and they'd play songs and the songs would stop. And then another song would start. And then another, and then it would stop. And you go home and it's like, Dad just bought a new Victrola and he's got a bunch of records he's going to play for you. And he plays them, but the songs don't stop. They fade. Why do they fade? Well, now, the obvious reason is, well, they must have played too long. Right? Right? They played the song for too long. They had to end it somehow. They didn't want to end it abruptly. And the orchestra didn't know well enough to come up with an arrangement to end it. So they just say, well, the heck with it. We'll just, end it. We'll just fade it. But there are fades. Um, once the fade, however it happened, became conventional, then it started to be used kind of in a clever way. And that's one of the things I want to talk about. But my understanding is that Kirk, you have found an article about the fade, and you're going to tell me about more about the fade. Because my idea about the fade is they just wanted to record music, get it out on, on, on a record as quickly as possible, and get it shopped around. And so we haven't got time to figure out an ending. We're just going to fade it. And that's that. And that was the easiest, that was the earliest version of the fade. That's what I believe. Okay, so when they were recording 78s, how do you think they faded the music? Well, I think they faded it while they were recording it directly to the disc. They would, right, they would somehow. They well, couldn't you know, manipulate the volume. That. The, the only well, they way can't they can tell the orchestra. There's no musical notation that says, "Okay, orchestra fade to you know fade over the next thirty seconds." There's no such music notation, so they couldn't tell the musicians. Yes, there to is. Fade. It's called a diminuendo. But the only way they could do that in the early days is by moving the source away from the microphone, or moving the microphone oh. away from the source. Right. So what right? do they do? Have them on train tracks? Well, they, I don't know. They, maybe they had them on dollies. But let's look at, first of all, when you're out listening to the bandstand and the band finishes their song, the music fades. The music decays as they stop playing. So that's the natural fade. If you're in a... Right. A, a natural diminuendo. Well, it's a natural decay, technically. Diminuendo is okay. an instruction, right. right? So right. if you're in a concert hall and you get one of those sort of typical romantic symphony endings that's the the loud chord dum 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 and then it fades as the music decays before the bravo guy yells bravo and people start applauding there's like a segue between the fade and the bravo and the applause but the actual fade the idea of the fade actually is in intensely clever it goes back to haydn his symphony number no. 45 in 1772 he scored it so in the last movement of the symphony, the musicians would blow out their candles and get up and walk away two at a time until there were only two violins left. And that was the farewell in the farewell symphony. So it wasn't 
the it wasn't all the music fading. It was fading by subtraction, by removing instruments, right? It was lowering volume. I believe I mentioned when we talked about Arvo Pert, his Tabula Rasa, which was, this was his first big, I want to say, hit on ECM records in the early 80s. When I saw Gidden Kramer and his orchestra perform this in Paris, what was really interesting is it had a similar kind of thing, that the music had a very slow diminuendo before it gets to the tabula rasa, the blank slate. And then there was like eight or 16 measures of scored silence. So the conductor is still keeping the beat with his stick and it's silence after that. That's like a playlist where you insert a blank song to have space between it. Right, but what's interesting is that as it did diminish in music, because it was similar to the Haydn where the instruments would stop playing. I don't remember if they walked off the stage, they might have, but it told the audience that it's not over yet. Let the music decay entirely before you start the applause, right? So in a live performance where you do have applause, that's really abrupt. And even if you do fade, like someone's turning down the volume on the mixing desk, well, people are going to start applauding. Right. That's interesting, but that's still, that's an intentionally, that's an intentional live fade, right? Normally, when a song ends, when you're playing the guitar around the campfire with the fellas, and you're singing She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain, the song ends. I mean, it may fade. We could sit here, you know, and say, well, there's a fade, you know, when the, the sound dissipates and there's back to the tabula rasa. But still, it is unnatural for a song to fade. You have to, it's a construction, it's an artifice that you have to plan ahead. You can't, you know, to, or like you say, that, how are we going to fade this, uh, Haydn? Well, uh, how about we have the musicians walk out two at a time? That should lower it, that should lower the volume a sufficient number. And if we do it over time at the right pace, then we will, you know, so they have to construct this this ballet of of ending the song. So it becomes a sort of, it becomes part of the song. So it's like a right. John Cage piece. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's prepared orchestra. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? So it's, that's an interesting aspect of the fade. Right, the, but that's, that's, that's an outlier. Yeah, the and, that, and that's an early fade. Obviously, they were experimenting with, well, how can we screw, what can we screw around with, you know, to mess up the audience's head? Yeah. I'm sure that's what they were thinking. I mean, because it's so unusual, right? That's a weird fade. Two people, they get up and walk off the stage two at a time, blow their candles out. Oh, my God, what have I paid for? <laughs> what did you bring me to tonight, honey? You know, that sort of thing. So I, th I think in, that's in fact, great. But in fact, in, per in performances today of that symphony, orchestras do that. They don't have the candles. Right. But they do that because that's part of, it's part of the score in a way. But so the real fade started like in the 1930s when there were long songs that wouldn't fit on the side of a record. So they would fade out and then fade in on the other side. And if you think of one of the most egregious examples of a bad fade as thick as a brick, where it kind of fades out on the first side and then fades in on the second side, it's not continuous, but it's like there's a bridge written for the fade out and the fade in, right? Right, it fit. has to work that way because that's, that's the way they decided to do that. That's well, when you started to get because, into this. Because it was on an LP, not a CD. If, there, if we right. had the CD, then it would be one 40-minute song. The fact that it, you have a two-sided disc is really important to the fade because, well, here's another theory I have, and you tell me if I'm right about this. If you're going to hire a bunch of guys to come in and record, you've got to pay them by the hour. Hmm. And how long does it take to learn one song, and how long does it take to learn two songs? 
So mm-hmm. if you're going to play two songs, and you're going to record two songs for a, for a, a single, for a side, for a 78, you've got to pay for the rehearsal time, and then you've got to pay for the recording time and all that stuff, right? Or whatever. Yeah. But if you teach them to play one song, if you learn one song and cut it in half, yeah. and put half of it on one side of the record and half on the other, then you've got like what? Stevie Wonder, Fingertips, Part 1, Part 2. You've got you know all of these songs that are Part 1, Part 2, because they brought the band in, they paid them for... I guess an hour. How long does it take to learn these songs? But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, by you, if they're in the union, then they've got a. There are rules, and some of the some of those rules have had an effect on the fade. So, rather than record two songs, they recorded one, or they recorded one long song. One, one version was one song, and the other version, even though it was identical, was another song. That's actually happened. Young Holt, who I mentioned recently, they were the band that did, I'm going to have to look it up, that was a hit for one person with the vocal. Then they released their version of it without the vocal, and both of them were hits. And they were recorded at the same time. Mm. But one was recorded without the vocal, and it's like part two or something. It's, um, it's, a very, it's, it's, it's an interesting artifice, but again, that could only happen once the fade became conventional. Right. So the fade became conventional because of cinema, because both fade and dissolve appeared oh, around yes. the same time. Fade to black. At the same time, it, yeah. Well, fade to black, fade to credits, right. fade in, fade out. You know, it was a pretty common artifice in cinema starting in the 30s, which is about roughly the same time it started in music, right? Yep. Now, the difference is music, you have a, a discrete unit, which is a song, and it ends, whereas in cinema, well, it's a scene fading out. But the film itself isn't finished. You can't look at a a movie like an album containing a number of scenes or songs. And, you know, the fade in a movie, it seems to me, emulates the curtain closing or the lights dimming on a stage, right? Isn't that what they would have emulated? Because I mean, that's where they got the idea. We can change the mood of how this scene ends. We can have it fade like they do on the stage. We can actually do it with light on film. That's interesting. I had never thought about that before. I never made that correlation before. Yeah. So, so when I go to the theater, sometimes you have a, a fade where essentially the lights are dimming slowly, but sometimes the lights go, you know, suddenly, right? And, and you might have like, I'm thinking a production of Hamlet a few years ago here where Claudius is praying and Hamlet is standing behind him and deciding whether he's going to kill him while he's praying, because if he does, will he go to heaven? And what they did is they had Hamlet hold up a knife and all of a sudden as his arm moved, the lights went out suddenly. And so you're in that sort of expectation of you don't know what's going to happen, even though there, there's no cut in the actual play at that point. You know, they have to have an intermission. Isn't that called a blackout? I don't know technically what it is. So fades can be two kinds of endings. They can be, the the best example I have is Hotel California by the Eagles, where you have that guitar solo that's going on and on. And that gives you the feeling that the song never ends, right? It, It gives you that impression that this is, you can never leave. Here, well, that's interesting. That's an interesting use of the fade there. But listen, here's what I think. The, the, the fade, let's, let's go back to the 50s. Think, think Wolfman Jack in, in American Graffiti. Two and a half minute songs. The first 10 seconds, he can talk over the beginning of the song because it's got a little intro. And he's going, hey, everybody, we're going to have a thing. And then, he, then the song starts. Then it fades with the chorus going over and over again. Well, 
you're singing that in your head, right? You're listening to this. You're, it's in your head already. It's fading. He comes back on, and it's still fading, and he's talking yep. over it, yep. going, here we go. And then he plays another song and talks over the beginning of that. Now, the reason they do that is because they can play more music that way. The record companies say, play this, play this, play this. They can play 20 mm. songs an hour, and they can keep people listening by, because that's yeah. what the DJ does. He keeps people listening to the radio station. He loves all the music yeah. he plays. He's talking over, this is a great song. I'm going to keep listening. It's great. It becomes a method of selling the record. But the fade doesn't exist on the radio. It does because you have to account for the fade. I'll tell you how important the fade is and... No, what I mean is it never fades to silence. It segues to another well, track where the DJ starts that's talking true, over it. That's true, but when it. the fade begins, you have to know when the fade begins. Remember a couple of weeks ago I was telling you about carts? The label on the cart. I could walk into any radio station and know ex all the information I need to know about any song just by looking at the label of the cart. It has the artist's name, the name of the song, the length of the song, how does it start, how much time do I have to talk, 11 seconds, 12 seconds, when does it begin to fade, or, does it fa or is it cold, or is it cold in the front? These are things that DJ would need to know in order to prep what he was going to say. Yeah, I could take any song, and if it says 11 seconds, I can hit the post in 11 seconds. No problem. Some songs even have two or three posts. That is, it enables the DJ to talk up to maybe one part where maybe the music changes slightly, and then yeah. maybe where the, vo where the vocal starts. You never talk on the vocal. If you wanted to talk over the beginning of hookah chaka hookah 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 chaka that was a personal call yeah. <laughs> personally i would never talk over that but i've heard guys talk over hookah chaka because you know it's there yeah you know i mean people who know that song and love that song they yeah. know that that intro's there and then the guy's talking over it so everybody's getting into it it's a it's a it's an incredibly interesting way for djs to to become part of the music Mm. And by injecting themselves into the music, injecting themselves into the the party that the people are having who are listening to it. So and that's why people don't. Fade. And that's why people don't listen to radio anymore. That's certainly why I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so the fade can be creative. Think about yeah. the more than forty second final chord in a day in the life by the Beatles. That's a beautiful fade. It is. Well, actually, what I'm reading here is it's. It's technically, it's not a fade. They extended the chord by slowly lifting the volume faders. Yeah, they probably want, they wanted it to go as long as possible. You can definitely hear how they, how they do that because you start to hear very, very, very minute sounds in the studio. Yeah. And the only reason you would do that is if they turn the, the input gain up. So that's what yeah. they did. And I think it's like four pianos, isn't it? And things like, didn't they just haul in a bunch of pianos? It, it's, and... it's like a John Cage Piece yeah, there. right. It exactly. It's a John Cage because it's very chromatic. Yeah. yeah. So the other example, and we're recording this on Monday the twenty seventh. On Saturday the twenty fifth, Sir Paul McCartney did a two and a half hour set at Glastonbury, and he closed with, "Hey Jude, talk about a fade." Oh, it's funny because I, in pre preparing for this show, I was thinking, "What's the what's a really long fading song?" And it's "Hey Jude." It just keeps going yeah. and going and going. Yep. yep. Something, according to this article in Slate, which I'll link to, the entire coda takes an impressive four plus minutes to wind down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but you know, but see, uh, you're right. The Paul Beatles McCartney, were experimental. Yes. Yes. The Beatles it, were experimental. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Because the song is very simple and it's over in two minutes. It really is. Yeah. The rest of it is just chorus singing. Another example of that is later Grateful Dead. I don't know when they started doing this, but they would sing Not Fade Away. 
and they would fade out and have the audience sing along, No Our Love Cannot Fade Away, until it was all a cappella. Uh, you know, bands will do that, though. I mean, that's, that's obviously a, a cute thing for the dead to do. But I've been at concerts where, you know, they finish, the band finishes, and the, the audience is still singing the song. It's kind of cool. You've seen that. I'm trying to think of something where it happened, but I think... I, I kind of think so. Close, close to the Edge starts with a fade in and a fade out, and I'm pretty sure performed live, it still has the fade out. You know, it's got that kind of sequencer, like underwater, yeah, yeah. tinkly-tink sound. Yeah. And I think it ends like that live. But I'm, still, I'm that's, a, that's sure. a thing that can be done mechanically, so to speak. Right. It's technically not a fade in the music. It's it's a different bit of music that is the coda that is fading, if that makes sense. Yeah. When we talked about we talked about this the first time months ago, and you were like irritated by the fade. You don't like the fade. I don't because it's an artifice. It's like I want to hear when I go to a concert, nobody fades. I mean, you know, I go hear some jazz. They don't. I mean, they may do it as a joke. It's like, hey, look, we're fading in real life. That's fun. But I mean, if I go hear a rock band, no one's going to fade live. They're going to end the song with a big, big finish. You know. So, well, after the crescendo, there is the decay. Okay, decay is the but fade. The, but the, the, the fade is an intentional thing. It's there. The, the, it's like you're taking the entire volume of the song and lowering it. You can't do that live. I mean, you can as a joke, you, as, a, you, as a... You can. You can have the sound engineer lower the... Okay, but, no, but why would I do that? Why, <laughs> why do that? I want to keep dancing. Let me tell you something. Another thing about being a DJ. You play music for people that are dancing and a song fades... They just stop and they stand there and they look at each other going, <laughs> you know, you got to keep the music going. It's either got to stop or you can't fade. You can't have fades on the dance floor. Well, you know, even waltzes, waltzes don't have fades. They just dun, 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 dun. You know, right, but end. isn't that boring the way they all end the same way? And, and like, again, the romantic symphony is well, with I the, guess, but it's what a, is it? Doom, doom, doom. It's like, it goes up a fifth <laughs> and then comes back to the tonic, that kind of thing at the end. Yeah, it's boring, yeah. though. It's boring. Yeah. One thing about the fade, though, is uh, I read a thing about how to get rid of earworms. And one of the problems is earworms can exist a lot more in songs that fade out. And you have to imagine that you have actually ended the yeah. song for it to stop earworming, <laughs> Right. That's, that's kind good. of weird, but um, that's kind of weird. But the, I don't think they fade because of earworms. I don't think that's the intention. You know what they don't. You know. You know what I would be really pleased to see. You know, we see these reissues of songs all the time, albums all the time, and they include bonus tracks. You know what I'd like to hear? Here's the non-faded versions. <laughs> like, what really happened in the studio? You know, how did they? How did they? Did they just say, okay, we're going to fade it? This fall apart at the end, because, I mean, that's what I would do if I knew that the song was going to fade at a certain point. It's like, well, we don't have to end it, so just stop playing. And sometimes you hear that on recording. You'll hear, like, well, I guess they're going to fade. We're gonna just, yeah, it just I, ends, if you listen to some you know? of the Dylan... It's a remnant of the studio If you listen to some thing. of the Dylan Bootleg series recordings, which are all the takes made in the studio, yeah. you can hear that at the end, where it kind of like, you know, someone maybe it's, does a run on the keyboard, and, and the, the drummer right. does a ba-dum-boom, and... Ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum. And then yeah. a couple of people maybe laugh. I mean, you do and, that when you're playing with friends, too. When you're playing sure. with friends, it's like, okay, we're done playing that song, right? Yup. Somebody starts diddling on something else. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's natural. It's normal for that sort of thing. But as a performer performance or a a performance recording uh, the fade to me doesn't seem fair it's like i want to hear your chops i want to hear but, you do your stuff and do you i want to hear a good ending but, but do you want every song to have a 
a, a cold an end or a crescendo or something. That's too... Well, an end. I want a cold end. I don't want this fade, this artifice. I don't want the artifice. I don't want to hear Hotel if, California end on a fade. If everything ends with an end, then it's good. There aren't too many ways you can end a song, right? You, you've got to end on a tonic. You've got to end with like a modulation or something. Yeah, but if I was playing it live, I'd have to stop. I'd have to stop. I can't fade while I'm playing. If I was up on a, on a stage playing a guitar, the song would have to stop, not fade. I'm not going to have a guy fade it. Okay, now start fading it now so that everybody sees me fading. I, there's no such thing as a live fade. And I don't want that. I want to hear, hear how the band ends the song. That's a thing. I think. I mean, I want to hear how they end it. Yeah, so one good example that I like, which isn't technically a fade, when Leonard Bernstein conducted Charles Ives' Second Symphony in 1951 at the New York Philharmonic, he took some liberties with the end of the score where there was an eighth note for the final chord, which was, uh, which was a Bronx cheer discord at the end. And he extended it to more than a half note. And that doesn't sound like a lot, right? But at the end, it's like you have this scale going to do, 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 and he did it really long compared to what it was scored. And no, that's not a fade, but that was a creative ending for this sort of symphony. Because again, symphonies all end the same way, right? With those three chords at the end, or, no, you know, there's not a lot of ways to I mean, end them. I don't know why they just don't end. Why don't they just stop? <laughs> What's wrong with that? Why isn't that the convention? Be because... But why? It feels incomplete. But it it can't just stop. It has to stop at but an why end. Why does it feel incomplete? Now, I, I know a lot about music, but I don't know a lot about musicology. But I know that one of the things about music is that the brain wants to hear the music resolve to the tonic, right? So that means if the tonic is D and you're floating around in C and G, you want to eventually get to D at the end. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to an extraordinary example of this. Steve Reich's four-movement piece called Tehillim, which is a small chamber symphony. And the last movement has this thing where it's floating around the tonic all the time and you just like you just feel like you want to nudge it to get there and then finally at the very end it does and it's like ah that was nice and there's some music you can end like that but you can't do that all the time because then it would be monotonous it would be the same ending all the time i guess but what's wrong with having the same ending because you have the same middle and the same beginning and it's so like if of course not i mean Maurer's third symphony starts off really low and then has these long, sinuous movements and all that. The beginning is, you know, unique. The, 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 the middle is unique. You know, not every symphony starts out like da-da-da-da. No, I realize that, but I mean— if, if well, Look at Beethoven's ninth. It starts on a fade-in, right? It's almost as if the musicians are tuning up and they're just noodling around at the beginning of the ninth symphony. Beginning of the Ninth Symphony. Yeah, I guess it does sound that way. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I guess you're kind of right. Um, yeah. But recorded music is what we most of us all listen to and what we hear most of the time. Yeah. And the fact that this fade has this, this strange-sounding thing, because it is strange. Can you imagine what it must have been like to hear it the first recording where the music faded? What would you think? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I would think. We're so used to it, but... It yeah, it's kind of hard, but back then music was so new that how many people actually heard Most people, recorded I'll music? I'll tell you, no, music then. wasn't new. Most people were musicians and had musical instruments in their house and played when they played music, no, they played it themselves. Sorry, I, I meant recorded oh. music was new back then. So it was a new, they were aware of the constraints of the medium. I think, yeah, probably. And this okay. was like 
th this is new, and so it's going to have to be different because it's new. Yeah, I, I can I can kind of accept that. Remember, we're, we're going from silent movies to talkies around the same time as well, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of changes in the way we were perceiving entertainment. What I was think, trying to think of is like, what technological advances have we had recently where we said, it's great, but you got to deal with this. So the internet is great, but you can only have 1100 baud, <laughs> you know? It's like, you, it's, it's new. It's, you mean what sort, of, what sort of limitation? Yeah, what sort of limitations? Restrictions, have? limitations, the, the things you have to give up that you had before, like for instance, if I wanted information, it's a direct line going to the library, reading a book about it and coming home. But if I'm gonna use Yahoo on the internet in 1996, it's gonna take a little while because I probably only have, you know, a limited amount of, uh, of internet speed and that sort of thing. Or that information may not even be available. It's not like it is now or everything's online. But anyway, that's, but that was my point. Yes, what do you have to give up what do you? What are the limitations of new technology that that that, that change that what we expected? What that change? What do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I can't think of any musical constraints that we have now that are changing anything. Well, it's. No, a technological constraint? I can't really think of well, anything. nobody's listening to albums because, anymore. I mean, you know, so there's... But that's not a constraint because you, you can listen to an album if you right. want to. Okay. You don't Good have point. to. So that's not a constraint. That's a little bit different. I, I just want to point out another thing, though. You're so obsessed about the fade because you're th living in the 70s. I've got an NPR article that says in the 1990s, the musical fade began to fall out of favor with artists and producers opting instead for the cold ending. Yeah. I I'm, kind of, I'm trying to think, is it really because of radio that there was so much fade to, to allow the DJs to speak over? Because if there's a cold ending, the, the DJ is speaking over a, an empty bed, right? Probably. Uh, I think it's not necessarily for the DJ. I mean, you can have it. You can do this DJ list, too. The short of the song, the meat of the song is what you want to hear. So if you if you can shorten up the amount of time that any bunch of songs can play, you can play more songs or play more commercials, depending on, you know, what decade you're in. It's an interesting topic because it's not something that I really thought about before, uh, before you raised this question a couple months ago. Should we have some next tracks? All right. So I bought some music last week by a band called Taper's Choice. Who is Taper's Choice, you ask? Taper's Choice is the new band with Dave Harrington, who we've had as a guest on the podcast, who is a member of Dark Star, and who also co-wrote and performed an album of ambient music with Alanis Morissette. It's not entirely ambient, but a lot of it is. It's all very, you know, laid back music. Dave contains multitudes. He really does. I mean, he told us, you know, he's a big fan of Jerry Garcia and he can play heavy stuff and ambient stuff. And so they've been performing live for a while and you can go to archive.org and get all their performances. They're a taping tape friendly band, as we like to say. I'll put a link in the show notes. And they've got three releases on Bandcamp. Each one is the usual 10 bucks and each one has two tracks, roughly 19 to 22 minutes each track. And what they've done is they've kind of made a mix medley of a group of songs and put them together for each side of the album. 
it's kind of weird because all of the songs are named either single quote or double quote, or it's actually a quote emoji. So there's no titles for the songs. If you listen to some of their live recordings on archive.org, you'll hear the, the different songs that are coming up. One of them is sort of jam band like Grateful Deadish. One of them is a lot heavier. And then the third one is like almost all acoustic singer songwriter stuff. Fascinating music. I don't know how many more releases they're going to be. They just did their first Choice Fest, which was their one-day festival with a bunch of like-minded bands that they did a week or two ago. I'm really interested to see where this goes because Harrington is a musician with lots of skills. Uh, the description on Bandcamp is interesting. It says, produced mixed radical reconstruction and dubbed by Dave Harrington. So, He's basically taking all these recordings, going into the studio and mixing them together in weird ways. But they work. Each one works. Each one is like, you know, around 20 minutes and they all work. So Taper's Choice, there's three volumes so far. What have you got, Doug? I am going to be listening to the new album by Paul Leary, although it's not exactly a new album, but I'll get to that in a moment. Paul Leary is uh, probably best known as the guitar player for a band called Butthole Surfers, but he's played with a lot of people. He's produced a lot of music, including uh, albums by uh, The Meat Puppets, Sublime, U2, uh, a lot of people. But he, he's a very clever multi-instrumentalist, as well as a guitar player. And in the 90s, he put out a record called History of Dogs, which I actually didn't hear when it came out. It took a few years for it to catch up to me. And I was really fascinated by it. It's, it's, it's an experimental, well, maybe I shouldn't call it experimental, psychedelic experimental weird rock, whatever. I mean, if you know the butthole surfers, you know what I'm talking about. It's 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 imminently listenable, but it is odd, okay? Uh, maybe that's the way to put it. I really liked it. It actually moved me. Um, some of the pieces are really kind of neat. Anyway, Paul Leary has, now 30 years later, put out an album called History of Dogs Revisited. And I've only heard two cuts on it, and I just fell in love with it. It is really awesome. Lots of Interesting sounds, really great emotions, and of course the songs, if you know the first album and you hear them on this album, fascinating. But you don't have to know the first album. I think if you want to approach this, uh, uh, if you've never heard Paul Leary before, or you're not familiar with the music, but you're interested in experimental stuff, I think you'd enjoy this album without having to hear the first record. But anyway, I, I, I'm really surprised I enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed the first one. Paul Leary. History of Dogs, Revisited, is my next track. This was episode number 238 of the next track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. And you'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at NextTrackCast. And don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining. So it's listener support that keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.